we are going to be continuing in our Signs and Wonders series this morning. Um, and I don't know about you, but I have really felt stirred by this series that we've been doing. We've been saying all the way through that we really don't want this to just be a preaching series where we all go, wow, that was that was a good word. Or this has felt like a really nice thing to listen to. And I, you know, yeah, I've learned some stuff, but that's great. You know, it's, it's, it's great to learn and fundamentally, you know, we want to learn. But what we really want to see come out of this time is a stirring in our spirits, a renewed faith for, for what God can do for what God is able to do and for where he's already working and where we can see it and partner with it. Um, Going through in our young adults group and in our other Bible studies that have been going on, just unpacking this book of the Bible, just unpacking Acts together has really opened up space for conversation about where we've already seen the miraculous in our life, whether that's big or small, uh, where we've witnessed God move where we've had faith for things and where we haven't, where we've had unanswered prayer and we've not seen God move and how we've dealt with that and how we're learning from that still. Uh, It's been a really impactful time, I think, for me and I hope for other people of just delving a little bit deeper into what our God can do. And I know Ben has said so many times that it's become a bit of a running joke in the young adults that um, of God can, but will he? And, you know, just being reminded of the the sovereignty of God in this time as well, that God can do abundantly more than we can ever ask or imagine. Um, but sometimes the things that we think are supposed to happen maybe aren't, and God has another plan. Um, so, yeah, we're not, we're not looking at that at all today, but just... The grappling of that whole thing has has been really challenging for me and really encouraging as we've just unpacked that together in our groups. So I hope that you've really enjoyed and appreciated going through this uh, in the same way that uh, we have in our young adults group. Um, Today, I'm going to be looking a little bit at Peter's escape from prison, which is documented in Acts 12. And we actually studied this in our young adults group. Uh, It happened to be the 12th of... October and we were meeting and I thought you know what I'm preaching on this in a couple of weeks let's just unpack it a bit together get a few thoughts so I want to just start by crediting that group of people for really helping kind of hash it all out and go through some things Uh, obviously I have done a lot on my own since then but it was a really helpful starting point Um, so let's let's start by reading together so the context for you is Peter is in prison he has previously been arrested twice before by the Sanhedrin, but he is now being held by Herod, the king, and he is being heavily, heavily guarded. So he's being guarded by soldiers on each watch of the night. So there would have been four watches of the night and he's being guarded by four soldiers in this. And at this time, prisoners would have been shackled to a guard, but Peter is shackled on both sides. So they're really like aware that he's got out of this situation before, he's got out of arrest before, he's managed to avoid it. And they're not going to let that happen. They're going to do everything in their power to make sure that he stays in prison um, until they are able to put him under trial and essentially execute him. So they're in the middle of the festival of unleavened bread. Um, And at this time, they, they wouldn't have had trials and they wouldn't have had sentencing. So Herod's holding on to him. He wants to put him in a public trial after the Passover. He's ready. 
essentially this public trial, uh, I kind of referred to as like a show trial, a bit of a sham sort of thing, if it's just all to tick boxes. It's a case of someone bringing someone that they wanted to get rid of, quickly getting them sentenced and moving them on to be executed. So that's kind of the Herod's plan here that we see. So we'll pick it up in verse five. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers bound with two chains and sentries stood guard at the entrance. Suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side, which I love by the way, and woke him up. Quick, get up, he said, and the chains fell off Peter's wrists. Then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals, and Peter did so. Wrap your cloak around you and follow me, the angel told him. Peter followed him out of the prison, but he had no idea that what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. They passed the first and second guards and came to the iron gate leading to the city. It opened for them by itself and they went through it. When they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. Then Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent this angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognised Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed, she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. I also love that. Peter's there. I'm so excited. I'm going to completely ignore him and run back in. Just another little comedy thing in this story. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, it must be his angel. But Peter kept on knocking. And when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. Tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this, he said, and then he left for another place. In the morning, there was no small commotion among the soldiers as to what had become of Peter. After Herod had a thorough search made of him and did not find him, he cross-examined the guards and ordered that they be executed. So there's there's so much that we could draw out of this story. Um, and honestly, going through it and thinking about how to, to share this morning, I... I went back and forth on a whole load of different threads to follow because um, there's just so much happening and I, I love it because it's quite a short passage really like we just read um what do we read 13 verses 13 verses it's not a big massive chunk it's not the whole of the chapter it's a little part of it but it's it's, it's a good jam-packed story and reading through different uh, commentaries on it and different ideas around it. There was just so many things jumping out to me and it took me a minute, but I finally managed to kind of collect my thoughts and I hope that they, they make sense to everyone as I share them. You know, this story comes off the back of Luke's writing. He's writing about all these other things that are going on and he's about to launch into uh, Paul and Barnabas's missionary journey. And it's going to be really exciting and this whole big thing's going to happen. But first, Luke's like, but I should tell you, um, so James has been killed and Peter's in prison. And it's a really big kind of like, whoa moment for the church. You know, they they are facing trials, they are facing persecution, but there's this hope that they're having that things are kind of gaining momentum and they're going to see people come to know 
um, Jesus and people be filled with the Holy Spirit and they're excited. And then Luke's like, I'm really sorry that I have to account for this, but this is actually what's happening. And you kind of reading it and it's like this moment of, right, okay. Well, that's that's a kind of twist I didn't see come in. Um, so, you know, we read in there, yes, James, James, the brother of John, has been put to, put, put to death by the sword. And Peter has now been kept in prison. Things look rough here. There's not a lot of hope in that situation. You know, you, you're seeing all this stuff going on and in worldly terms, looking at the death of a friend, the murder of a friend, the execution of a friend and the imprisonment of a friend. These, these things look pretty dire. Um, and I think this little community that's there, this, this new fellowship of believers, relatively new, what can they do? What can they possibly do against the massive powers that are at play here of Rome, of Herod? Now, like I said before, Peter had been in prison before. Um, they've, they've dealt with this before. They've seen that he's been in prison before by the Sanhedrin, so a little bit different. It's kind of been in prison by the church, <laughs> not this church, like the, the Jewish church at the time has been in prison by it, and now he's been in prison by the authorities. And they've seen him escape before. They've seen him get out of this before. So there's this, you know, there's that element of this might happen. But I think the death of James is a real hard hitter of, but everything feels like it's kind of fallen apart. One thing I find really interesting, and I didn't know this until I started looking into it and I found it, Really encouraging. So when you see in verse five, it says, so Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly praying to God for him. What I didn't realize is the word that is used there, that earnestly, um, and it's different in different translations of English of what that actually means, but the original is ektenos. And I might be saying it wrong, but it's okay, because we all we all give it a go. We all take a stab in the dark at these words. Um, and it means like an unremitting, fervent, like passionately intense prayer and it's the same word that Luke uses in the gospel of Luke to describe Jesus's prayer in Gethsemane um now for context for anyone who's not familiar with that story there's um there's an account of Jesus the just before he's betrayed just before he's put to death um that he is praying in the garden of Gethsemane to to God the Father and he's you know he's feeling it <laughs> he's feeling for want of a better word he's feeling that stress and that strain of something really hard is coming and his prayer comes from this deep place within him of if possible take this cup away from me if there's another way please but I trust you God I trust that you know what you're doing so your will not mine and it is this open vulnerable intense uh, self-sacrificial prayer that he prays and it's just an utter trust and reliance on God the Father and that's the same word that we see used here and I just thought wow like how beautiful is that and I was really struck by the fact that if you look further on in the story into verse 12 it says that they were gathered and they were praying in the middle of the night like when Peter shows up in the middle of the night they're there and they're praying and they're gathered together and they're believing for Peter to be brought out of this situation. And I just I felt really challenged when I read that of when did I last pray that type of prayer, like that level of grit in my prayer where I really wasn't concerned about how it sounded and I wasn't concerned about making it proper and Christian enough. 
and using the right type of words. And But I just opened myself up vulnerably before God and said, I trust you and I rely on you and I believe that you are in control and I I submit to your will, not mine. I wonder if there's some of us in here as well, like if you're like me and thinking, I don't, I don't know the last time I prayed like that. There's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no judgment from me or anyone if you're kind of like, I don't know if I've ever prayed like that because I'm not sure that I ever really have. But oh, to have that level of dependence on God and level of trust and faith in God, that he will do beyond what we can imagine, that he is faithful, that he is sovereign, that he's good. And that even when we don't understand it, he's still there and he's still present and he's still working. I want to have that. <laughs> and I don't know what the quick answer is of how we have that. We're going to look at responding in a little while. And I just bear that in your mind, that level of of realness in in their prayer. One other thing that kind of came to me whilst I was reading this. So um, we see when Peter comes to meet with the church, he's been released or escaped from the prison. He's he's come to where all the the home of Mary, where all the others are gathered. We see the first thing that happens, which I did say when I was reading it, I thought it was really funny. Like he knocks on the door, Rhoda hears his voice as he's called out and she just goes, ah, that's Peter. Runs back in to tell them, tells them all as they're in there praying with faith and fervent nature and intensity while they're really believing for this. She goes and tells them, they say, no, you're mad. Rhoda, it's not Peter. It's probably, is it like, it's not Peter. Don't be ridiculous. And it really struck me that that fervency that we're wanting to pray with, the intensity, the grit, the realness, the true faith and trust that we can have in God, we can have all of that on the go. And still, when we see the answers to prayer, we might be like, that's not, no, don't be ridiculous. That's not it. That can't be it. And I don't know about you, but I've, I've had examples in my life where I've really prayed for something and I've really believed for it and I've really gone for it. And I've kind of forgotten about it. And then I've seen it answered in a way that looks a bit different to the way I thought it would. And I've not even noticed that it was my prayer being answered. And it's taken a real minute for me to kind of get my head back in gear and think, God answered that prayer. That was him answering it. How blind have I been? Like that, of course that was it. And I just, it's another really real moment. I think that the beautiful thing about the story is there's a lot of examples of just like just reality. And obviously I would believe that this story is, is real. This isn't a fictional story, but... It's such a relatable one. You see, Rhoda freaks out so much that Peter's there that she just pegs it and leaves him at the gate. And I'm just like, I love it. It's like that kind of scatty kind of, oh my gosh, it's him, it's here. Right off to tell everyone. Oh, but he's still at the gate and he's just escaped from prison. So she probably let him in because he's going to need to be in hiding. And then she comes in and they're like, nah, not a chance, Rhoda. Are you mad? And it, it just made me feel like it was so relatable to me because it's just real. It's just totally how we act with things. Do we pray and expect that God will move? Are we paying a situation or a person lip service when we pray? Do we actually believe it's going to happen? Or are we just doing it because it's what we think we should do? Would we be this shocked <laughs> if something massive, like if, you know, we pray for the big and we pray for the little, but if we're praying for like really believing for a big thing and we saw it, would we, would we believe it? Would we be like, yeah, that's God, God's done it. Or would we be like, oh, I'm not sure. I don't think that could be right now. Actually, my, the logic's taking over in my head here. The human part of my my spirit and my brain is taking over and I'm not sure that, nah, 
I can't be God. I don't want to do that. I don't want to miss anything. I want to credit God. I want to give God the glory when he's moving. And I love that Peter in verse 17, it's like one of the, it's it's a key thing here. It's such a simple statement, but it's so powerful. When he says in verse 17, um, he describes how the Lord had brought him out of prison. You know, we look at the story of him coming out of the prison and he does pretty much nothing. Like really, really the bare minimum here. Like he's asleep for one. He has to be woken up. He doesn't wake up himself. Like this big light crashes in, but he still needs to be woken up. That wasn't enough for him. He then needs a step-by-step instructions of how to get dressed, <laughs> which I really, really enjoy. Um, it's like, right, you close your sandals. Right, your cloak. Come on now, follow me. And he just walks out. And at this point, he still thinks he's just seeing stuff. So he's, he's not really engaging fully in it. He's not participating particularly. He's just going along with it. You know, we see very clearly he's not had a big part to play in this. The shackles have fallen from him. The guards are all asleep. None of this is by his doing. And he comes out and he says, the Lord has brought me out. I want to be like that. I want to notice in my life where things happen that I either can't explain or I can't credit myself with. However hard I might want to try, I want to point to Jesus. I want to point to the Lord that he has done this. I want my testimony to speak to people when those things have happened, whether it's a big thing or a little thing, whether it's this huge physical miracle or it's, you know, like we heard a couple of weeks ago from from someone that I just felt this peace that made no sense because all of that situation in my surroundings should have caused me anxiety and stress and yet peace came and it was God. God gave me peace. God brought me to that situation. It was God who brought me out of the prison. That's how I want to function. That's how I want to live. I want to credit him. I want to shout about him. I want to tell people where I've seen him work. I don't want to try and explain things away and just make it, oh, it's probably because I know I put in a lot of hard work there. Let's, let's, notice let's look for those moments where we see that it is God himself working I'm going to kind of wrap up in the next few minutes um we're going to spend some time in response to to this this story we're going to spend a little bit of time thinking about how we apply this um to us in terms of our prayer life and in this story you see the powers that be the authorities Herod and his armies of of soldiers, we see true physical earthly power there. You know, they put people to death by the sword. They have strength in their numbers. They have the security of their prisons. Um, They are very powerful. And then you have this community of believers, the church, and their weapons physically, they that's not what they have. And, you know, at this point, they've been given away so many things They're not this affluent group of people who've got loads of things at their disposal. But what they do have at their disposal is prayer. And the weapon that they fight with in this is prayer and trust and faith in the Lord. And obviously we know that all of these physical powers pale in comparison to the true power of prayer and the power that God has to move. Fighting a battle with seemingly very little can look ridiculous and terrifying and just stupid quite frankly but prayer is more powerful packs more of a punch than we 
maybe give it credit for because it is our way of joining with the Lord and joining together as well um, as as a church, as a family, as a fellowship. It's our way of joining together and really seeking after what God's doing. It's about the battle that we have. It's how our praise and our prayer and our trust and faith in God, that is our weapon. That is what we have to fight with and that is how we're going to finish today. We're going to go out with a bang. We're going to really proclaim the words in this and we're going to believe it and we're going to trust that God goes before us, that God is already working. We're going to trust that he's going to empower us with the boldness. He's going to highlight for us if we are receptive, if we keep our eyes open, who will he point us to? We're believing for something to happen. Let your faith stir as we sing this. Let yourself believe that the thing you've wanted, the thing that you've been praying for already for years, that you just feel is hopeless, may happen. Remember that just before this has happened, we have heard that the similar thing has happened to Stephen and he has been martyred. He did not get released from prison. They they have seen their share of heartache. They have grieved. Stephen has been killed. James has been killed. And yet they go again and they believe that Peter can be freed. They believe that God still can do it, even though he hasn't. They've seen examples where he hasn't done that, where that hasn't been his will, but they still believe that he can. They still trust that he can. It's hard when we don't see those answers. It's really hard when God's will is something else. But let's press in. Let's believe that we are in a fight and that we have a weapon that is more powerful than anything that the enemy can throw at you, than anything that the world can throw at you. The Lord is with you. He is fighting for you. He is fighting with you. Mm